Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. We are on the precipice of the greatest story ever told. <laughs> um, I'm really excited tonight. We, you know, we, this, this whole week we've been kind of mulling over the idea of, of what is this story that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, what we've been doing so, like, recently within our church is we're looking at all of these different things. It's, sometimes it's very easy to confuse the good news of the gospel with good advice. And there's, a, there's an importance for us to go specific as Christians and really dig into what does it look like to live this out in our day-to-day lives. Even recently, we've been examining with our personal health, whether it's in our mental health or our physical health or emotional health, how do we allow the Lord to come into those things and to bring healing and to realign them into what it looks like for us to be the people of God within his kingdom. But sometimes we need to step back. Sometimes we need that 30,000 foot view to remind us of what the story is. That this is not just about good advice. This isn't just about you coming here and finding out little things that you can apply in your life to be healthier and happier and more productive. But this is actually the story of God. The gospel, the good news, is the proclamation that this is what God is doing, followed by the invitation to step into that reality. The writer David Foster Wallace once spoke of this story of two young fish who are swimming through the ocean. An old fish comes by and he says, hey boys, how's the water? And he swims on and one of the fish turns to the other and says, what the heck is water? You know, sometimes we can get so caught up with what's right in front of us that we forget the bigger story. We forget where everything is pointing and where everything derives its power. And so tonight, this is my thesis for us. This is the light we share with the world. Everything is different now that God has chosen to act through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you're here, that you're present to us. Lord, you go before us in history, and you prepare the way for us to meet you there. Lord, you find us in the present moment. Father, teach us how to lay down the regrets and the guilt of the past that perhaps we've brought in with us tonight, but also teach us how to lay down the anxiety of the future and the worry that keeps us focused in, in, in tomorrow. Lord, we invite your spirit to move in this room, in us and through us, in a way that you bring us so fully present into this moment that we're able to receive your truth tonight. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, a rock and a redeemer. You know, there's so many ways that we can tell the story of the resurrection. We could tell the story of the new Adam and that Jesus is the new gardener of the new garden as God is bringing all things back into accordance with how the original intentions that we find in Genesis. We could talk about the story of how it is that God decided to become king to reestablish his nation, but not a nation that has boundaries, not a nation that has an ethnic identity, but a nation that welcomes all other nations into it. We could tell the story of the great high priest who is also the final sacrifice once and for all, that becomes the mediator between creator and creation. You know, a lot of times I find in this gig, it's, I'm more criticized for what I don't say than what I do say. You have to bear with me, I've only got about 40 minutes. And the story that I want to talk to tonight to you about is the story of light. The story of light, that this is the light that we share with the world, that everything is different now. Everything is different 
because Christ Jesus has shown light in dark places. And as we're going through this, I want you to keep these lenses in mind, these lenses of truth, of goodness, and beauty. When we're talking about story, we want stories to be true, but not just because it's something that we intellectually affirm, not because we read a story and say, yes, this is factually accurate, but because it transforms us, because the story grabs us and interacts with us and changes us. And we want the story to be good. We want the story to move us into a new place of understanding what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to exist in this world? What am I called to? And ultimately, what is God like? And the kind of relationship that I'm invited to have with him. And finally, the story has to be beautiful. You know, I believe that we are in a new reformation. We haven't seen one in about 400 years. I think we're in... (laughs) You can clap for that, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's prophecy, but maybe it is. I don't know. I'll claim it. Bring it down. We're in a new reformation. And the last Reformation, one of the beautiful things was that it, that it moved us to meet the world in the way that it actually was. Because as the church, we started to lose touch with what was going on. But I think one of the unfortunate side effects of the first Reformation is that we lost the capacity to understand how beauty can save the world. How this story is true and it's good and it's also beautiful. And I believe part of what our generation is reconnecting with is learning how to tell the story in a beautiful way that draws us in. And the beauty of God, the beauty of Christ resonates with something deep within our spirits and we're drawn into his reality. And so I want us to claim those three things tonight when we tell the story of light. Is it true? Is it good? Is it beautiful? So I want us to begin by telling this story of light, by looking at what is it that God has been up to this whole time. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 to begin. John writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Perhaps in one of your translations it says, The darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot wrap itself around the light. And I love that John starts off his picture of Jesus, not from his birth like the other Gospels do, but with this very large picture. We call it the cosmic Christ, the Christ who has been with us since the beginning. And John works us from the deity of Christ into the man, where the other Gospels start with the man and arrive at the deity, that that Jesus being the Son of God and being God incarnate is kind of the divine punchline of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, he's very clear right at the beginning, this is what's happening. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus has always been. So he begins by talking about the word. In the Greek, it's the logos, the logos of God. And even as John was writing this for several centuries in Greek philosophy, they had developed this concept of the logos or the word. And they said the logos is almost like this animating force that kind of holds the universe together. It binds molecule to molecule and it gives life to the thing that's going on. And at approximately the same time that Jesus walked this earth, there was a Jewish philosopher in Alexandria um, named Philo. And They did not have any contact with one another, but Philo 
grew up in the Greek culture, grew up understanding Greek philosophy, but he also grew up as a Jew, understanding Jewish theology. And in his professional life, he began to look at the philosophy of Plato and the theology of Moses and start to compare those and say, is there any sort of overlapping truth in these things? And he began to look at this idea in Greek philosophy of the logos, of the word, of the animating force that binds the universe together. And he began to look at through Moses when it begins to talk about the chokmah or the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is this this animating force that holds things together. And he begins to notice this connection. He says, this word of God, this word of God that we read about in our scriptures over and over again, it seems to have almost a personality of its own. And he began to speak of the word of God that goes forth. Perhaps even as I'm reading from John 1, you're already thinking of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a formless void, and the spirit of God hovered like a bird over the waters. And then God spoke, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, even there in the very beginning of the story, we have God the Father, we have the spirit of God hovering over the water, And we have the word of God going forth. And when the word of God goes forth, life and light comes out of it. And so this word that was God and is also with God is the light of all mankind. And what we find from that Genesis story, and and, and it repeats, there's this rhythm. Whenever you see a rhythm in Jewish writing, you know you're reading a poem that speaks to something a little bit below the surface of what you're hearing. And it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And that's how our Jewish brothers and sisters understand how time works. They understand how history works. It moves from darkness to light. It's inherent to the character of God and his desire and will that he steps into places of darkness and he moves them to light. You see, God is unidirectional in the way that he designs history. That every good God story moves from darkness into light. It's hard for us to understand because for some weird reason, we start the day in the middle of the night and then we end it in the middle of the night also and there's this light piece in the middle. And I think some of us actually picture history that way. That we think it's kind of started in darkness and there's this bright spot now because we're in church and we're singing songs that feels good and then I'm just going to go back out in the world where it's broken and it's dark. But God's stories always move from dark to light. And the darkness cannot comprehend it. This word of God that God speaks and it animates and it lifts up creation. And that light has to go into the darkest places in creation in order to bring reconciliation. And I love light as a metaphor. This week, of course, because it's me, I started to research what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about light in a metaphysical understanding, a scientific understanding. And for several centuries, we understood light is kind of like a wave. And so we talk about light wave theory, that it's the particles kind of bump up against each other and the energy is kind of pushed through all of these different particles. But in the beginning of the 21st century, through different physicists like Planck and Faraday and Einstein, they started to look at this and they said, well, there's certain properties of light That, yes, they they say that light's like a wave, but it also kind of acts more like a particle, like a little packet, like a little object, that light itself is some little bundle of energy. And it's interesting, if you talk to quantum physicists now about light, they'll say light is both a wave and a particle, and it's also neither of those things. And you go, ow, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Even if you try to find an image of this in normal space, we cannot comprehend what that's like. You see, 21st century quantum physicists understanding it takes faith to understand something that we can't see. And you see, these 21st century physicists are beginning to sound like first century poets. And they're beginning to sound like 3,000 years ago poets. And I love that light particle wave duality. That light itself, it's a bundle of energy, but it's also a relationship between forms. And it's hard for us to wrap our head around that, but then we step into John 1 and we see the word was with God and yet the word was also God. You see, John is stretching language. He's describing something that is indescribable. And he needs to use this poetic language for us to even be able to step into something. But it's not something that we can step in and understand or contain. It's something that we have to experience. We step into the mystery of the Christ figure, the Messiah, as the word of God. And we allow it to transform us. In Luke 17... It says this, once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. And some translations say the kingdom of God is among you. See, this kingdom of light, it's it's energy. It's a bundle of energy within you but it's also a relationship among us. You see how beautiful this metaphor of light is. If only John Wesley had quantum mechanics to rely on for his sermons. But let's continue reading in John 1. We're going to look at verses 9 to 14. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We can talk about that husband's will bit when it comes to children at some other time. The word, this is so good, listen to this, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. That word there means the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. The word became flesh and pitched his tent in our tribe. And the message, it says the word put skin on and moved into the neighborhood. And this is God, the word incarnate, who is with God and yet is also God. Making his presence with us the defining factor of the relationship. And it goes on, we have seen his glory, his manifest presence, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John is very clear about who Jesus is from the beginning of the story with this image of word and light. And he invites us into a very big story. And I think when we begin by understanding the deity of Jesus as the word of God and the light of all mankind and the light of all creation, it changes how we approach the words and the actions of Jesus. And we begin to ask this question as we see Jesus interact with mankind. What does it look like when light breaks into darkness? 
You know, yesterday we spent over 12 hours going through the gospel of Matthew. We started at 10 in the morning. We got to midnight last night, and I was looking cross-eyed, and it just we, we abandoned it in, in chapter 25. And So next year we're going to start at like 8 in the morning maybe. But it's amazing to read one story all the way through. And as, as I said, like with Matthew or Mark or Luke, we're starting with the birth of a baby. And the divine punchline when we get to the end is like the centurion says, surely he was the son of God. And there's a beauty to that. Because we start to figure out, like, here's the things that Jesus is saying and here's how he treats people and these are his miraculous actions. And it brings us that, to that conclusion. But what if we start there? That Jesus is the light. And we say, this is what it looks like when light tabernacles with us. This is what it looks like when God moves into the neighborhood and light begins to break into darkness. Then what does that look like when light breaks into the darkness of the world? It's good news. It's the proclamation that everything has changed. Everything has changed because God has shown his light. It looks like all of these things that, that Israel was promised for centuries and the things that we still rely on for our promises. It looks like good news to the poor. It looks like freedom for the captives. It looks like healing for the sick. It looks like the dead being raised to life. It looks like us stepping into and participating in the new realities of God that are afforded to us through His Son, Jesus. Consider the story of our church over the past several years, where the Lord has taken us geographically, where he's taken you as an individual. The, the, the conversations that I'm having with so many of you, I'm starting to see how you're attuned and you're being woken up to the realities of God. And the questions that you're asking and the things that you're wrestling for, you're asking for that light to shine deeper and deeper into the places of darkness within yourself. And it's beginning to bind us together as the community of God, the people of God, God's colony, foreigners, strangers in a foreign land. But we're beginning to see his light shine in ways that we never thought possible as a community. Because if it's true, this isn't a story that we observe from a distance. This isn't a story that we watch happen over on the other room. This isn't just a story that we acknowledge is happening in the person next to us. But it's a story that draws us in because it's true and it's good and it's beautiful and it changes us. It transforms us from the inside out. And so I want us to take a moment and just come before the Lord and to ask him this question. Where do you see light of resurrection? In your story right now, in this moment, Easter Sunday, 2016, where do you see evidence of re re resurrection? Where do you see the light of resurrection shining into your own life? And so I'm going to pray, and we'll just take a moment to come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, in faith and in thankfulness, we come before you right now. Would you reveal to each one of us places where your light has shone into darkness, and we've seen transformation? We've seen dead bones come to life. We've seen places of hopelessness imbued with hope. We've seen new life. We've seen new light. Lord, would you remind each one of us right now of those moments and those stories and those events?
Lord, I thank you for the evidence of resurrection that's present in this room. And the stories of these dear ones, my brothers and my sisters. Lord, teach us how to hold those stories in a gracious way, in an honest way. To share them with one another. And the more that we share those things, Lord, the more it builds up our confidence and it builds up our faith in what you're capable of. And Father, I pray that those testimonies of seeing light shine into dark places and transformation occur, that that would give us the encouragement to have an expectation for you to shine light into some new places and to bring new life into some places that seem like they're hopeless. Amen. You see, it's important that we take those moments and we recognize within ourselves, within our own story, what it looks like when God's light breaks into our own lives and when God's light breaks into this world. And it's important that we share those stories with one another because it's what encourages us, it's what helps us move forward. We have to steward and we have to cultivate resurrection within ourselves. We have to tell those stories to one another in order to give us the fuel to move forward. And so this is what God has been doing this whole time through Christ, through the Messiah. And even now today, we're still standing in the presence of resurrection. We're seeing what happens when God from the future calls into the present and says, behold, I'm making all things new. And so what is our response to that? What do we do with this story of light? I believe that worship is us proclaiming with every fiber of our being that he's making all things new. Worship, like even what we've been talking about these past several weeks with, with looking at healthy relationships, looking at healthy leadership, looking at personal thriving and mental and emotional and physical health. All of these are God training us up to become light and to allow every fiber of our being to declare that we, God is making all things new. That we are to be the picture of resurrected life for a broken and dark world that desperately needs those messages. And so when we look in Colossians chapter 1, we see this connection between this picture of the, the cosmic Christ who's been there since the beginning, who animates everything, holds it together, and everything is built for him and through him, and we find our place within that. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And don't you just love that? The image of the invisible Again, it's not something we can wrap our minds around, but it's something that we step into by faith and choose to participate in mystery. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He's our head. He holds us together. He binds us together. He animates us. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In order for the light to shine the brightest, it had to go to the darkest place of all. 
The light has to pierce into the darkest places in existence. Death itself. The darkest place for all of us. That's the place that Jesus had to go as God incarnate. As the word of God. In order to truly be light for all. And what does it look like when light goes into dark places? Light proclaims from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Light from the cross looks at those who have beat him and maimed him and abused him and hung him on that cross. And light says, Father God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Light and resurrection comes to the brokenhearted and the disappointed and says, don't be afraid. It's I. Light comes to those who cannot believe it because it seems too good to be true. And light says, put your fingers in the the holes in my hands. Put yourself inside of me. Experience me. Light challenges and encourages the people that it interacts with to write things like 1 John, that which we have seen, which we have known, which we have felt. This is what we testify to, that light has come into the world. And it says in first or in, in Corinthians or in sorry in Colossians that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That Jesus, his resurrection is a promise to all of us that out that is our eventual destiny. And the glimpses of resurrection that we see in this life, in our lives, whether it's a physical resurrection or a spiritual resurrection or an emotional resurrection or a relational resurrection, whatever it might be, it's only a foretaste of what's to come. It's only the beginning. God is just getting started. But Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to pass through the place of darkness to clear the way from sin so that we could finally be reconciled to our creator. But Jesus' resurrection also opens us up to the new life that is available in him when we are in relationship with God. That he shows us what it means to truly be human beings in the way that God has created us. And that new life leads us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation that God is working through the light of Christ. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I love that word reconciliation. It literally means to be made friends again. To be brought back together. The thing that has been cleft in twain, as the King James is very fond of saying, is being brought together. Or torn asunder. Choose your pick. Whatever fancy words you want to use there. But that ministry of reconciliation that God has begun through Christ the Messiah, if we are his body, then we are also to step into that with the new life that is afforded us. And so we cling to resurrection not as a way to escape the evil of the world, but to address it. I think there's a temptation when we interact with the darkness of this world that we want the story of resurrection either to remove us from the pain and the suffering of life or we abandon it altogether because it seems too good to be true. Because when we look around us at the facts, it doesn't seem to line up with what we find in Christ Jesus. 
This week, there was yet another terrorist attack in Brussels. 31 victims, three suicide bombers. This afternoon in Lahore, Pakistan, 63 people were killed. Brothers and sisters of ours, Christians, who had gathered together in a park to celebrate Easter with us around the world. 63 people were killed and 300 people were injured. What do we do when we come across these stories? Because it doesn't seem to be resurrection in those things. There only seems to be brokenness and hopelessness. And so sometimes we come to Jesus because we want to escape the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of this life. Or sometimes we just want to abandon the story of Jesus altogether and just resign ourselves to the cycles of violence that are the structures of this world and to say, okay, that's all I can do is I just have to respond to violence with more violence just in order to survive. That too often as Christians, Jesus' way is the first way and whatever we talk about as the last resort is really just the second resort. Because the way of Jesus wasn't convenient for us or didn't really seem to make sense in the face of evil. But darkness cannot cast out darkness. Darkness cannot cast out darkness. Only light can do that. Only light can push out the darkness. Only light can bring reconciliation. Only light can bring healing. Only light can bring freedom from captivity. The psalmist says God's word is a light unto our path. And Jesus becomes that light. He is that word. And he offers us that path. That we are called in the new life of resurrection to live a life that echoes Jesus. And we die to self as Jesus died so that we might be resurrected like Jesus. That he is the firstborn of the new creation. And when we walk down that path, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems like it's not practical, we are the light that shines in the darkness, and God uses us to overcome the violent systems of the world with love. That is why you were created. That's why you exist, to be the light that shines in the darkness, to be the body of Christ in whom all of us are gathered together that we're held together as his body, as his church, as the hope for the world. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, In the past, God spoke to us through our ancestors, through the prophets at many times, and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. What the writer here is saying is God spoke through the law and he spoke through the prophets, but Jesus was the best and final word. Jesus was everything God ever wanted to say about himself. God looks like Jesus. God has always looked for like Jesus. It just took us a little while to realize that. And it's taken us 2,000 years even to unpack what that means. But Jesus... The Messiah through whom the entire universe was crafted out of goodness and love has been appointed heir of all things. And he's God's last and best word. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus 
is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his character. Brothers and sisters, if you come across anything in the church, any kind of theology, and it does not stand up to what is revealed in Christ Jesus, it's not good enough. The Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets were the partial revelation of God. It was the best we could do with what we had been given, but then God spoke his word through Jesus, and we got the fullest picture of what God is actually like. You know, when I was a high school teacher, believe it or not, I had a career before this. When I was a high school teacher, I taught art, and one of the things I would teach is color. And you want to see some 14-year-old minds explode, explain the difference between light color theory and pigment color theory. That... Mixing paints is different than mixing light. Because when we mix all the paints together, what do we get? Black or brown. But when we mix light together, what do we get? We get white. We get purity. And I believe that that in and of itself, as we're continuing on with the metaphor of light, is so beautiful that it's when all of the colors are combined, we see the pure light. Because I believe that the church is the color spectrum of God. That each one of you, in the gifts that you've been given, the passions you've been given, the vocations that you've been given, the the spaces that God has invited you to walk, you carry within yourself a very specific part of the radiance of God's glory. You carry within you a very specific, specific aspect of His character. And when we come together as the church, when we come together as the body of Christ, God's glory, his manifest presence is made more known because we begin to share those stories of light one to another. And whenever you come across the word glory in the scriptures, think about that. God is present. He's here. This is what he looks like. Even Jesus at the beginning of his ministry said this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Can you imagine even sitting on that mountainside? And all the things that are going on in your life, all the places of disappointment and all of the struggle that you have and and, and just really not feeling like you're worth very much. And this rabbi, this beautiful rabbi that just seems to draw you in says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say if you do these five things and you work really hard, then maybe eventually you'll be worthy. He says, no, no, you are. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that is what we're called to, friends. You are the light of the world. You carry within you evidence of the reality of God. And when you share that one to another, God's glory, his manifest presence is made ever known. And as the radiance of God's glory, our lives become the story of light that shines into darkness. We become that story of light that the dark places of the world are crying out for. That we are to be the picture of that resurrected life that shows what happens when light shines into darkness. Perhaps tonight, you're still stuck in a Good Friday moment. Perhaps tonight, you're still mourning a loss. Perhaps tonight, you come before God and you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
perhaps tonight it even in struggled you look around and you say father god forgive them whomever them might be they don't know what they're doing perhaps you've come in here tonight and you're feeling the tension of holy saturday stuck between the cross and the resurrection feeling that silence feeling that bated breath because you anticipate something that's about to happen but you don't know exactly what it's going to look like in your life wait for the light of resurrection wait in hope the light is coming and god's stories always move from darkness to light so we're going to come before the lord and worship him and thank him for the word that he has shared with us, the light that has become the glory of God in our lives, in our tribe, and for this world. And so I want to invite you to stand. We're just going to take a moment, and we're going to come before the Lord again in quiet and just contemplate this question with him. What are you going to do with the spectrum of light that you've been given? What are you going to do with a little piece of the character of God that you have to offer the world? What are you going to do with the little stories of resurrection that God has been building up within your own story? Because friends, they're too good to keep to yourself. I've heard so many of them, they're too good. And when you share those stories, when you share those gifts, when you share those passions with us and with this world, we see light shine into dark places. And we see reconciliation and we witness hope and it gives us that encouragement to look forward to that final coming of Christ Jesus when he finishes what he started. And there will be no more tears and there will be no more darkness. We see God face to face as he truly is. And so let's pray and contemplate that question. Heavenly Father, I know you're already moving in us and through us. That your kingdom isn't something that we can observe. That your kingdom isn't something we can locate. But it's, it's here, it's within us, and it's among us, and it flows through us. That your light is within us, but your light is also among us. And so, Father, as we come into this moment before you, just to contemplate this question, reveal to us, what are you calling us to do with the spectrum of light that we've been given in this life? Father, may we glorify you with everything that we are, and give us a high expectancy to see more resurrection, to see more light as we anticipate the moment that you bring together creator and creation in that final act of peace. And pray all these things through the strong and the wonderful and the true and the good and the beautiful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.